Hello, and welcome to the Public Procurement Podcast with me, Pedro Teles. Today, I'm interviewing Francesco De Carolis, Associate Professor at Ainaudi Institute for Economics and Finance in Italy. Francesco concluded his PhD in 2009 at Chicago University and is currently a research fellow of the National Bureau of Economic Research. He was recently awarded the ERC starting grant to investigate reputation and corruption in public procurement. It is only fitting, then, that the main topic for our shot today is going to be precisely reputation, more specifically past performance, and how it can be harnessed to obtain better performance from suppliers. Hello, Francesco. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you for this invitation. Uh, my pleasure. Francesco, I, I usually like to start the interviews by getting the guests to speak a little bit about the background. Could you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah. So... Um... I have been uh, working uh, in the last uh, 12 years in the USA. So, as you were saying, I completed uh, my PhD in economics at the University of Chicago, where I study empirical uh, methods to analyze auction and procurement markets, which is a rapidly growing and very successful area of economics uh, with a broad range of application from auctions and procurement systems that government use also to private sector with applications ranging from the most diverse areas, spectrum allocation for telephone operators to uh, the allocation of oil and gas exploration permits to really almost every area. So I began, despite I was in the US, my origin is Italian, and while in the US and I was learning about this new era of economics, I realized that there was a big discrepancy between many of the economic models and the practice, the actual way in which certain procurement, important procurement markets were arranged. And that it was particularly interesting to try to bridge what was in our economic textbooks with what was happening in the practice because these textbooks were missing some key features of the real-world environment, but also these real-world environments and the rules under which they developed were sort of addressing an imperfect way, in a potentially problematic way, some of the real problems that they were facing. And so this is how I began to build a career as a researcher in the area of auctions and procurement. And these, my studies are based mainly on empirical analysis of auction and procurement data, but also with some focus on the underlying theory. What brought you back to Italy then? So, in essence, the ERC grant. <laughs> so basically, I've worked in several universities in the US. Most recently, I was at Boston University in the Department of Economics. And while I was there, more precisely, I was on sabbatical at Stanford, I learned that I was the recipient of one of the ERC starting grants for economics. And the grant is an absolutely fabulous opportunity to allow me to conduct research on areas on public procurement that I did not have the time or the resources to explore until then that I always found very interesting and fascinating, especially the use of past reputation in public procurement and the role of corruption in procurement. And the reason why I mentioned that I didn't have the resources is also that uh, for doing some of these studies, uh, especially the one that I'll be glad to tell you about in a few minutes, uh, I collaborate closely 
with uh, contracting authorities that implemented these rules and working with the contracting authorities to try out different procurement formats, evaluating uh, from an ex-ante perspective how to design the new auction formats, then doing the work of collecting the data, analyzing, possibly having multiple meetings, both with the contracting authorities and with the suppliers, are very intense activities. And so thanks to the ERC grant, I had now all the financial uh, means to perform these activities, and then I was very happy to relocate back uh, to Italy. Right now I'm in uh, the Einaudi Institute for Economics and Finance, which is an institute uh, created by the central bank uh, to be an excellence in the study of economics. And uh, here in this institute, several important researchers for the area of public procurement have affiliations as well. Giancarlo Spagnolo and Elisabetta Iossa, for instance. Very well. So if you could drill into the little bit into the details of the grant and the research, what are you actually going to be looking at more specifically? So the premise is that when we think about contract procurement, uh, two features are absolutely crucial. One is that uh, it's unavoidable that there is some cost uncertainty at the time of bidding. So regardless of whether the procurement uh, is a very complex uh, contract, for instance, for the construction of new military equipment, uh, or whether is a contract for something easier, like repaving a road, there is intrinsic uncertainty. Even in repaving a road, typically the bidding takes place several months before the contract's execution and what the weather condition, what the cost condition will be at the time of the execution of the contract cannot be known for certainty by the firms at the time of bidding. Coupled with this intrinsic uncertainty with contract procurement, there is typically a difficulty to verify ex post performance and to eventually enforce penalty in all those cases where things have not followed the original contract specification. So this is a feature that makes contract procurement very different from the type of auction markets that the economics literature has extensively analyzed and for which a lot of important results have been established. For instance, if the auction entails a transaction that will clear right after the auction, think about the auction for a painting in which individuals or firms bid, but then the transaction clears immediately, then the kind of problems and the kind of solution are extremely different relative to those of contract procurement. And in particular, in contract procurement, this issue of the exposed life of the contracts becomes crucial and makes competition, which is the typical tool that we see as being so important and so effective in auction, uh, it makes competition really a double-edged sword. Things can go pretty bad if competition is pushed and exacerbated in an environment with cost uncertainty and difficulty to verify performance exposed because firms that are unreliable are willing to offer low price at the time of the auction might not perform as they should afterwards. So what does the private sector do in the face of this? Well, series of things. It can require financial guarantees like bonding, letters of credit, and it can embed the decision maker to use some form of discretion in selecting bidders. So select discretion in the form of contract 
or awarding methods, negotiations versus auction, or also, and this is typically the case, discretion in the use of past performance. Just think of a very simple thing when you're renovating your apartment. The past performance of the firm that work with you will certainly play a key role. And this is widespread in the private sector. Now, what is uh, remarkable about uh, public procurement, and especially European public procurement, is that the use of past performance is strictly limited. To be more precise, until very recently, until the latest round of European Directive, the use of past performance was strictly forbidden in Europe. And this is peculiar, not just because it makes the public sector so different relative to the private sector, and potentially it limits a great tool to prevent the problems that I was mentioning at the beginning of poor performance, but also because it puts the European system at odds with the US public procurement system. In the US, in a nutshell, uh, since 1994, there was a major reform of the Federal Acquisition Regulation that put uh, past performance of contractor at the heart uh, of the system for selecting uh, suppliers uh, in federal procurement. And the goal and idea was exactly that of mimicking the good practices of private sector. Now, Europe is gradually moving towards something similar, but very, very slowly, and we are still far away. So what I want to study with this piece of research that I'm now conducting is to what extent this reform tried by the U.S., and other possible reforms based on the role of past performance in public procurement can be an effective way to combine improvements in performance together with still the objective of limiting prices. And in particular, what I wanted to understand and study with this research is how to combine the use of past performance within a system of awardings based still on auctions, on transparent auctions, and in particular, so how to change from essentially price-only auctions or scoring rule auctions that did not include reputation to price plus reputation auctions. So scoring rule auctions that included uh, reputation. So how to measure reputation and how to include reputation into the scoring rule and then quantify how this matter, how this approach could impact both the performance delivered and the cost of these potential improved performance. So this was the key idea of this piece of research and the implementation of it is something that is still ongoing and I have some preliminary results if you're interested that I'm happy to discuss. And we'll do that in a minute. Before we get to that, I would like to go back to something that you said about taking into account past performance being strictly limited. Yes and no. It's true that you cannot, in EU procurement, use past performance to assess the quality of a tender. You can use it, however, to assess the quality of a tenderer in a previous moment to the actual bidding. So, for example, if you have a restricted procedure, if you use a restricted procedure, you can use and you can allocate significant points, a number of points, to the performance of the economic operators coming to the auction or coming to the procedure. With the open procedure, it's a little bit more complex, especially now with the changes that have been introduced, but it can also be done in a certain way. So 
from my perspective, and obviously I'm coming from a legal background, so from my perspective, what you're suggesting could fit within the current rules. And the current rules exist for a very good reason, or a very reasonable reason at least, which is to ensure equal access to the markets, not only to companies with a huge trading history, but also to companies that do not have a lot of trading history with the public sector. So that's why you have this clear separation and, and this clear rule based on the principle of equality to make sure that companies or that tenders at the tender stage are analyzed on as much of a, an equal ground as possible. So I have two answers. One is about what the current rules say, but the second is even more important okay. because you have mentioned what I think is really the greatest departure mm -hmm. in the view between economists and legal scholars. So <laughs> let's jump absolutely into this and wait that you asked. What did you say? Essentially, is that the rule to limit the use of past performance is there for good reason because we want to keep an open market. Now, this is absolutely, absolutely at odds with how economists see the problem. Why? Don't we care about open market and new firms and preferential treatment? Of course we do. But the issue is that you are sort of tying the ends of these public administration and public contractors in a way that is not realistic. In a sense, whenever you are specifying how past performance shall be used in a contract, you must also specify how firms with little or no reputation must be treated. Now, the fact that you are using a system that is based on reputation does not necessarily mean that you are going to say, we are going to use past performance for those who have and for those that they don't have it, they cannot enter the auction. Mm -hmm. You can say something completely different. You can say, we're going to use past performance for the firms that have a past performance, and for those that don't have it, we are going to give uh, the maximum points, the minimum points, the average points, uh, points estimated in a certain way. So it's sort of like there is what we call uh, a design issue. It's completely in the hands of the designer. So as legal scholar, you can think of the designer as whoever writes the law, the rules of the game. But what happens to firms with no reputation, to new entrants, to firms that also have maybe little reputation, maybe they have just participated in one auction. And so they've done something, but not must, just one observation. You would like to trust many observations. Is the result of a designer choice. And so it's something eh, that can be optimized and tailored to the market. But it, that there is the important thing eh, that the only message that I want to communicate is that you don't have to see that there is a necessary block created for new firms eh, from the use of past reputation because it's a fully a designer choice what happens to new firms. So... Tell me if this sounds convincing to you or not, because this is really something on which I read uh, many documents about the potential implementation of reputation system in the European directives, uh, and I've seen the debate around Article 57, uh, yes. in which uh, the European directives uh, 24-2014 has introduced some use of past performance along the lines you were mentioning at the beginning of your remark. 
And I see that the point that you mentioned, the criticism that you mentioned was really prominent there. And tell me if I managed to be clear or not, because this is a key point. It's really a designer's issue. So things should be the couplet. We should first decide if we want to use past performance, because if we think it's important, and condition that, then we can argue what's the best way to treat new firms. So I gave you the opinion, the general opinion from legal scholars and why the rules are what they are. In my opinion, as time goes on, I think that you are into the right track in the sense that there is a lack of reputation being actually taken into account in a good way. That doesn't mean that it's quite easy to do within the logic of the system, which is to ensure that both new entrants and older entrants are not discriminated against. Because even with the design, and yes, it's a design issue, even with the design, it may be very difficult in practice to actually making sure that the compensation given to the new firms actually does not create arbitrage because it, it, if it makes life a lot easier for new entrants, then what's going to happen is that the existing companies or existing economic operators will create shell companies to actually bid as fresh entrants into the market, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. So that, there's a risk there. And then if you think about how the system works in general, and I've mentioned this in, in, in previous podcasts, the public procurement rules in Europe exist not to enable great procurement. They exist to avoid really, really bad procurement. So avoiding corruption, avoiding making stupid mistakes, those are two of the key objectives of procurement, not to be economic efficient. Because if you're designing a system to be economic efficient in terms of public procurement, we may end up with something very different from what we have now. So my perspective and my personal view is that, yes, we should be moving towards a system where a reputation is taken into account. So about a year or two years ago, I remember writing a blog post suggesting that perhaps we needed something like the eBay rating system or Uber, where both parties of a transaction at the end of a transaction are compelled to provide feedback on the counterparty on a, some sort of exchange that is public and that anyone can consult and you end up with a registry of reputation for both the contracting authority and the supplier. So you actually address the reputation issue from both ends. I haven't written anything more specific about it, but that was something that I was thinking about because even for a supplier, it's important to know how reliable the contracting authority is. Because Absolutely. Let me tell you a story, yeah. if you want, exactly on this. So in Italy, following this directive and in particular the implementation of Article 57 in the Italian Public Procurement Code, there has been a lot of debate and essentially the authority called ANAC, A-N-C-A, Anti-Corruption Authority that supervises public procurement in Italy, put forward a proposed system to monitor past performance by suppliers. And in, at the heart of this system, there was essentially the contractual performance measured in terms of percentage delay in time of execution relative to contractual time and percentage discrepancy in cost and final cost of the procurement relative to the contractual price. Now, the Italian firms complained and complained in a very reasonable way, saying that many times it's the fault of the public administration if things cannot be completed at the condition that was originally promised. That's true. And this was extremely reasonable, and I completely agree with this point. And in this sense, <laughs> they were saying, we need also a rating system for public administration, and we need something different. So 
the quarrel around this proposed implementation of this part of the directives in Italy was so strong that the, this authority ended up blocking this proposed <laughs> reform and is now not. Very well. I think that is a, a pain point that we could address in public comment going forward. Focusing back on your research, you yeah. said that you had some preliminary data to talk about. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Absolutely. So it all started with a, a very interesting experiment. Essentially, in Italy, we have uh, a very large uh, public utility company that provides uh, water and electricity to Rome and, uh, and central Italy. So this company is uh, owned 51% by the municipality of Rome. And so because of this, it has to follow the public uh, procurement regulations but also since, since it's a public utility company, is in, um, in a group of contracting authority, the Italian regulation calls special sector. And special sector have some degree of freedom in how they design, some, in how they fine-tune the procurement regulation that they apply. So the CEO of this company was extremely worried about the performance in the contracts uh, that they were awarding. They award every year about 300 million euro worth of contracts to perform maintenance uh, of their water pipe system and electricity network. And with these contracts, they were considering the prices that they were getting from uh, bidders in the auction quite good, but they thought that quality was really terrible. And you have to think that these, especially for electricity, this is one of the really dangerous area. If safety standards are not respected, people might die yeah. because they work with high tension and you can easily get electrocuted and the consequences are devastating. So what they did is they started to think about a system or a way to improve performance. And then they consulted Giancarlo Spagnolo and through Giancarlo also me, and we started a collaboration on this very fascinating project about how to improve the performance while still being living within the system of the public procurement code. And so if you think about introducing reputation, there are really two separate pieces. The first is how do I monitor? How do I construct a measure of past performance of reputation? And you can think that you could use uh, publicly available measure. For instance, uh, you can use some ratings uh, that are, I know, ISO uh, 9000 certification or some other publicly available ratings. Or uh, you can construct uh, your own rating measure. The company, with regard to this first question, decided that they wanted to build their internal uh, rating system. And in particular, they said they wanted to experiment on one of these two sectors. They picked electricity and they picked two subsectors within electricity, public illumination and the maintenance of electrical substation. And they said, for these contractual classes, we can write down a list that is exhaustive of all the things that need to be done properly in the contract, both in terms of safety parameters and in terms of quality parameters. And... What we will do is essentially we'll have teams of our engineers from the contracting authorities that then will go and inspect 
the execution of these contracts along this list of parameters. And in particular, they chose a list of 136 parameters, and they also decided that these uh, engineers that were going to do the inspections were randomly drawn. So the pool of engineers was changing every time, according to this random draw, to limit the risk of corruption. And also, which, which work site were inspected was also the result of a random draw. This is because it's costly, would be costly to monitor many, many um, contracts. By introducing a drawing system, you have a smart way to give to every contractor a positive probability of being monitored, but without having the cost of monitoring every contract. And so they sent these people and they started to monitor and they, the results were devastating because the results of the first three months of monitoring revealed that non-compliance was overwhelming. So these parameters were scored with a zero if they were found to be non-compliant and a one if compliant. When the scores arrived in the, for the first three months and they were aggregated up, non-compliance was 75%. So only on 25% of the parameters, on average, they were doing something that was as written in the contract. And this was very bad because, again, there were like safety measures that were violated, putting people at risk of very serious dangers. And this was across all contractors, across all types of works in these two categories, across all parameters. So it was a very widespread phenomenon. And this was very much confirming the fear of this company that non-compliance to contractual elements that in principle uh, you're a legal scholar so Mm -hmm. it might surprise you you even more than an economist but these were things for which in principle these firms should have been could have been brought to court Mm -hmm. but this was not happening these were things for which in principle penalties that were written down in these contracts could have been enforced but this was not happening and so the reason why it's not happening would open a separate chapter uh, is related to the efficiency of the court system that, for instance, in Italy is quite bad. But it's also related to the general phenomenon that in business, you try to maintain a good attitude with your suppliers as well with your customer. And so this firm was feeling that if it was started to bring suppliers to court and to enforce penalty, would have acquired a bad reputation, it would have been harder for this firm to conduct business. In It was not doing this, it was not going to bring it to court, it was not enforcing penalty, but it was very worried about this poor performance. So step two, after you have designed your reputation system trick, you have some numbers you can use to quantify reputation, you have to decide how to incorporate this reputation measure into your decision of future awardings. And now is where things uh, become tricky with respect to the regulation. As we were discussing before, under the current EU directive, you could use this information in the stage of selecting which firms are admitted to participate in the auction. Still, you could not use this to select among the bids that are received. So this firm was a little bit torn about how to use the reputation system that they had designed into the selection of future contracts. What they did is that they announced to their suppliers they were going to switch to a scoring rule auction 
that was giving a 75% weight to price and 25% to past performance, where past performance was a weighted average of those 0-1 scores that I was mentioning before. So the system clearly was living in a gray area between what it was allowed and what was not allowed by European directive. And uh, this forced the firm to delay the implementation as Mm -hmm. they were collecting uh, opinions uh, from legal (laughs) experts. But this made the experiment even more fascinating. Why? Because uh, for uh, one year and a half, basically, the supplier of the firm had been informed about this intended switch, but the switch was not happening. Why this is so interesting? Because as uh, we were discussing at the very beginning, your main concern about openness of the system, if they were to switch immediately to the new scoring rule system, we would have observed in the data a mix of effects, in part coming from the selection of new firms that are kicked out by the new system, and in part, like price and quality effects linked to the response to this new system. Instead, what we have here in this beautiful experiment is this one year and a half in which suppliers have already incorporated that eventually the scoring rule system will arrive. And so earning reputation matters, because if they earn reputation today, when the new system will arrive, they can offer higher price and still win the contract because they have earned a good reputation that will be valuable to earn points in the scoring rule formula. But today they still don't face any limitation to their entry and to their probability of winning related to what's their price performance because for this space of one year and a half they still have a first price rule that is in place. So this allowed us essentially to study the effect of the announcement of this switch to reputation. So not the actual switch, but the announcement of the switch on the behavior of the contractors in terms of quality delivered and price. And the results were quite stunning. So basically, in a nutshell, I told you 25% compliance before after one year post the first announcement in which suppliers were informed about the intended switch and they were shown the scoring rule formula that was going to be in place, quality overall and performance increased to about 80% compliance on the parameters. So from 25% to 80%, which was absolutely great. And the change involved essentially all parameters and all firms that were part of this market. Has that maintained over time and has it also affected new suppliers that came in after the announcement so they were not uh, actually in a market during the announcement? It maintained over time and is 80% is, has remained more or less flat since then. Now, in terms of the selection of suppliers, What is interesting is certainly that we see that even the suppliers that were not performing well before the announcement of the switch to reputation changed their behavior. What we learn from this experiment is that we don't have necessarily to think of markets with firms that are intrinsically good and bad, but there is very much a possibility for firms to be responsive to different incentives 
and to change to change their for instance managerial practices in how much they value safety and safety practices and so on and so we saw a change that is across the whole spectrum of firms participating in these auctions. In terms of entry and exit, we saw an exit of some firms, but in a way that when we try to benchmark with what happened in terms of the auction for the exact same sectors, but taking place in other multi-utility companies in Italy, and the exit rate that we observe for this firm running the experiment is an exit rate that is quite similar to the one mm-hmm. of the other uh, multi-utility company that did not run any experiment like this. In terms of entry, we see uh, that there is uh, some entry, but not much in the period that we observe. And since entry is small, for instance, we see in the sample period, we observe only three firms. And from a statistical perspective, when you have such low numbers, it's difficult to draw conclusions because they don't have any statistical power. So I would say that we can say with reasonable certainty that there is a great effect on behavior with the same firms changing. There is no effect on exit of firms. There is potentially some effect on entry, but it's not clear. Potentially Mm -hmm. limiting a little bit entry, but it's not clear how much. Okay, so we need to wrap up the interview. We're reaching the time limit. What's next for you? So what are the next steps with your research? There is one part that is still related to this uh, experiment that is uh, uh, in a second part of the experiment. We were able to relate uh, this performance also to the prices. And we observed that prices um, in the initial phase after there was the switch, they declined because probably because firms were competing very intensively to win contract because only by winning a contract you could be monitored and you could earn reputation and afterwards prices started to increase which is compatible with firm passing through this higher cost of performing better of delivering higher quality in our cost but the pass through of cost was not major in the sense that compared to the great increase in quality from 25 to 80% the increase in cost was about 7% relative to the price they were paying before. And you can argue that it's actually not an increase in price. It's the price that it should have been originally if the quality was supposed to be the one that is in the contract. We cannot say this for sure as we don't, uh, we are okay. not able as economists to measure what would be the cost of this quality. From the perspective of the firm we work with, we know that the firm is happy. It thinks that this is a very reasonable price increase for the higher quality. What we have done is a sort of exercise of trying to quantify the welfare produced by this reform in terms of life saved, so reduced probability of of accidents, and by weighting this reduced probability of accidents with the value of statistical lives, which is a quantity that economists and also social scientists often use, and we saw that indeed the policy produced great benefits. So the benefits exceeded the cost by an order of several millions of euros per year. So all this suggests that the policy was positive, but we don't want to stop here. We want to keep on studying and understanding the system. So uh, what comes next uh, is uh, this company is trying to now understand uh, how to restructure its system to be compatible with the new directive. Again, Article 57, as we were discussing, Mm -hmm. and so how to switch to a system in which 
the selection and the reputation index is used to select firms that will participate, not to select bidders. And will be very interesting mm-hmm. to see how these two completely opposite systems perform, which are the pros and cons, both in terms of prices paid and in terms of quality delivered. And so this will be, uh, we believe, a fascinating way to learn about different methods of regulating uh, the system. Of course, there are many other questions because it's quite arbitrary why 75% on price and 25% on past performance. Why those specific measures of past performance? This is really a broad area. And we have several um, interesting projects, with, mostly with Giancarlo Spagnolo, that we are pursuing uh, in this area. On a slightly, still connected, but slightly different part of my ERC grant and my current research focus is on uh, the area of uh, corruption and the problems of criminal infiltrations uh, into public procurement auction. And these are projects with uh, Ray Fisman and Paolo Pinotti. And Thank you very much. Francesco, it was a pleasure having you. Absolutely. Same for me. You can find me at my blog, tells.eu, or on Twitter, where I use two handles, at Detic for general discussion and at Public Procure for public procurement-related topics. As ever, I'm grateful for the support of the British Academy Rising Star Engagement Award, which made possible this project. If you like the show, it would be really helpful if you could rate it on iTunes, helping others finding it. Until next time.